have the summary on my phone. Love Talk Radio. Let's get love in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there Network, MJ in memory of my sister, Marcia Joyce, and this is going to be so phenomenal. We have the author of An Any Cost, Andrea Kane here. Amy Bregman had the perfect life, but then her best friend, Rita, sets up a business setting for her with an important influencer that creates crashes all around her. Wait till you hear what happens when she has to hire my favorite organization, I wish I had them, the investigative firm of Forensic Instincts. Boy, I wish they were really real. They would be fantastic in real life. So, good morning and welcome to MJ Network. (laughs) Good morning. It's so great to be here, as always. I'm I'm glad you're here, too. So, can you give us a short summary? And how did you create that prologue to, to create it from the past to the present? That was really good. Okay, well, yeah, well, I, you know, it's funny because I'm one of those people. I know some writers don't need this, but I always know who the prota- who the, prota- the antagonist is that's going to be mm-hmm. the scary person that's going to be throughout the book. And I know who their identity is, and I know their motivation. I know all that stuff. Otherwise, I can't write at all. So in this mm-hmm. case, I knew all that, and the prologue is pretty much his and his agenda that, that ties to the, the past to the present. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, I, this is so hard to do because I, I have so much mm-hmm. that I want to be excited about, and yet I don't want to tell anybody anything, just have them say, why did she say that? Now I'm on page 120 and I know that already. So I'll <laughs> say that as an appetite wetter, the prologue does start with a creepy murder scene and leaves the reader with lots of questions and very few answers. So that's the prologue. And then quickly we fast forward eight years to a New York suburb and Canopy D beer. Um, Canopy D is a, it's a promising startup company that has exploded onto the scene with a unique line of um, cannabis-infused beer. Um, and its inventor and the company president, Nick Collati, we can get to all these people obviously later, I'm just telling you what I, you know, some points of summary. Um, he's eager to get the company on the map and, ex- and expand it its, its products throughout the United States. And he also mm. wants to expand into more products with this fabulous formula. Then Amy, Amy Bregman, is his head of marketing. Um, and based on what you just said, I will add that she attempts to form that partnership with a well-established influencer because she knows that he will best promote the brand. It's a great partnership. Problem is, which starts at that point, uh, they have a meeting, one and only, um, with a third party, which we'll talk about too. But after that, it becomes very turbulent and ugly, the meeting, and right after that, someone else is murdered. And that murder is way too close to home for Amy. 
So she's terrified. She's frightened that she'll be next. She goes straight to forensic instincts. Who wouldn't? I want them to. I agree with you. Um, and she begs them for help. So then from there, the story deepens. It reveals lots of highly connected adversaries, um, a dangerous kind of web where more people die, and most of all, a terrifying serial killer with an agenda of his own. I know. I got, and I, you know, I was like reading this. I go like, how can I figure out who did it? And then I, you know, I put a few clues together, but no, I'm not going to tell you if I figured it out. It's really good though. You guys got to read this. So the question, other question is, how did you create that beer? I mean, people CBD beer. That's that's interesting. <laughs> it was it was kind of fun because. Some of it is based on the real reality of cannabis and what's going on now. Some of it is yeah. was sort of a – well, first of all, my husband, before he became everything else he is, he was an engineer. So at his core, he can help me with all that stuff. So um, he was basically messing around in the graduate school lab. At, at this college is a university, actually. It's Danforth and um, – that's a, there's a few of them that are alums from there. So because of that, we can, we have some interactions that people knew each other. So therefore, you know, that's... But the whole thing is that basically he was playing around in the lab trying to, to, to create the right mix with cannabis and, and to bring it, mix, it, mix it into a drink that he could bring to the frat party that he was, he was organizing. Um, and then... What he created turned out to be phenomenal, and it just went. He used in school. You know, when you're in grad school, it's, it's more for fun. I mean, this is stuff for you know. He wasn't really yet in the market to make this an enormous company, but then it became more real in his mind, and he just he went at it. And afterwards, he after graduation, he started the company up and just went with the formula, and it was. He's actually trying to expand it into wines and other drinks because everyone loves the taste. I'm using my cell phone because all of a sudden it's got staticky. So, yeah, this, this is really amazing because a lot of killers are like this. How does a killer justify killing? I'm having a hard time hearing you. How does, it just, how does a killer justify killing people? Uh, in his mind, they deserve to die. It's as simple as that. And Yeah, he also has a uh, flair and a, and a desire to do this, so he enjoys what he's yeah. doing. That's what sociopaths are about. But he definitely picks people that he deserves to die. He, and most of his motivation is revenge uh, on both the personal and the ecumenical sense. It's, you know, he wants certain people gone. The fact that he does it in such a horrific manner is a separate mm. issue. Mm. Sounds like the son of Sam. God. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he and he lived. He he killed right near my na- in my neighborhood, not too far away from where I live. Yes, and I know that. That was scary. <laughs> so, in the present, Amy has her job. So tell us about Nick. And he created this, and he had Amy promote it, and she thought he was really wonderful. Everyone, Nick is a really—he's one of those superstars where he's just—he can do it all. He—he 
He's, he uh, yeah. works all the time, and he can work out, and he can go to parties, and he can pretty much do it all because his attitude is, you know, I can sleep when I'm dead. So he he hired – first of all, he and Amy briefly knew each other, not well, but they knew each other in, in school because he was a grad student. She was an undergrad. They'd brushed – you know, they they had a little interaction. So he knew that she was the person he wanted for her head of – his head of marketing, and she's – She's great at it because besides the beer going to places like liquor stores and restaurants and stuff like that, she handles the whole thing about grad school students, uh, a recent alumni, Greek life, and all of the social media stuff. So that's what she has connections to other influencers, but this particular one would be a huge fish to catch, and that would he has millions of followers, and that would really put them on the map. So she's going after it, and she's going strong. Mm-hmm. She gets blindsided a lot, this poor thing. Yes, so. she really does. And also, Forensic Instincts is very good at keeping things from her that they do with all their yeah. clients, things that would make them hysterical, more hysterical than they already are. And also, they have methods that they don't particularly want to share with anybody. Mm-hmm. This this really was good. I mean, I just, I get eye strain a lot, too. And I just sat down and read this. <laughs> one day I feel like okay, not putting this one oh, down. I, I wish I could write it that fast. Wouldn't that be nice? I have enough problems figuring out. To, I, I it, when I have to write a review, I have it in my head. Then I write it. I'm going to post those later with nine stars. But um, yeah, it take. I, I have it in my head. But when it comes to writing a book, forget it. That could take me years. Until I figure out, I can figure out the character that's bad and crazy because I write horror, but what is it going to do? I need help. <laughs> so, I understand exactly have, what you mean. Who is Rita? I liked her. And she introduces oh. Amy to Chris at the bar, and that doesn't go off so well, does it? He's no, a hot it does number. not. He certainly is. Um Basically, Rita, I mean, in her functioning now, she's the director of alumni relations at Danforth. But yeah. um, she's been mentoring Amy since day one because she, they met at a kind of a college recruiting fair, and she just really took to her. And she's pretty much had her under her wing since that, moving through college and also moving through Rita's progressive promotions, you know, moving on up until where she is now. So she helped Amy a lot and when Amy had you know problems or questions that's what she went to so now present day she does go to her for suggestions and help with their fellow you know alums so that Rita obviously is familiar with all of them and Amy has certain people she wants to talk to her about so they stayed together I'd say they were you know they're not really business friends they're kind of friends I mean they they really do get each other and talk so I would say yeah they're still friends so she's the one so, that Amy approaches to set up the meeting between her and Chris mm-hmm. Mayer. And Chris is a spoiled little rich boy whose YouTube channel, yeah. Max for Sport, has millions of followers, making him a major influencer, and she knows it's a great fit for Canopy D. Now, Rita also knows it's a great fit, but she also knows that Chris is bad news, and she tells Amy so, but, you know, she can't really completely dissuade her so her idea of making it a little easier is she sets up the meeting in the bar and she decides she's attending as well so as far as the meeting itself amy goes in already with her pitch you know she's all set unfortunately things don't go too well first of all chris immediately comes on to her which is huge no-no on every level but before she can even react rita just blows 
And then she and Chris really get into it, and they're screaming and yelling at each other. And some of the things they say kind of imply there's something damning and something ugly going on, and it's something that absolutely catches Amy in the crosshairs. So that's how it all starts. And then, of course, after that, the next day, the police are on her doorstep saying, you're the last person that she spoke to. Rita's gone, and we suspect foul play. Yeah, but then he he got sort of too friendly at that meeting, if I remember correctly. Yes, he did. He came on to her right away. He kind of took her. He liked her. He thought, look, Amy is one of those people who's super likable. She's outgoing. She's sweet. Yeah. She doesn't come from New York, so she has a really fresh and innocent kind of a take on life. And he just felt that very appealing because he's this macho guy who likes to be, you know, head stud. So, and he decides not to wait. He's, he's always had whatever he wanted, so he just put his hand on her leg, and that did not go well. She didn't have a chance to smack it off, what she was about to do, and Rita just blew up what she mm-hmm. thought. So that was an she didn't. So how does this set the stage for how to want to hire forensic instincts? And she hires them, and why, tell us about them, and why aren't they real? Seriously. They are real. I wish as they were real. As far as I'm concerned, this is... This is nine books, and I'm starting at their tenth. Believe me, they're real. As far as I'm concerned, they're my, like my best friends. But as far mm-hmm. as before we get into them, because they're my, I could talk about them for the whole hour. But um, mm. as far as what happened was, in the morning after the meeting, as I said, the police show up on Amy's doorstep firing questions at her about her relationship with Rita, because Rita's disappeared with foul play suggested. Uh, and her calendar indicates that Amy was her last appointment. So... Amy sees the writing on the wall. She might be a suspect, but she's more frightened that based on Chris's kind of venomous reaction to her rejection and her overhearing every angry word between them, which were kind of implying something bad, she's terrified that Chris is a killer and she's next on his list. Mm -hmm. So the police aren't even in question, and honestly, she didn't think of them anyway. It was forensic instincts because anybody who has Mm -hmm. any brains goes right to forensic instincts. And she's seeking protection, and also she wants them to look into what she's certain is Rita's murder, that she hasn't just disappeared. And there's every indication that that's the case, that she's dead. Um, so the police are obviously not her friends at this point, and Forensic Instinct's sterling reputation propels them her to go to them. They, she's, I really wish they were real, seriously. So... They explain to her how they go about it, and does she listen to what they're telling her? Because there are certain things that they don't want the police to know, right? She has to keep it to herself. But they also don't want to get into any situations where it's like she's perjuring herself, anything that would really get her in trouble. Although, honestly, in this particular case, she's a very weak suspect. I don't think they truly ever believe that she did it, but they have to cover all their bases. Mm. Uh, She's much more of the victim than she is, you know, a a potential killer. But at any rate, um, what they tell her, more or less, which is important, is that there's no reason to keep a secret that she went to them, but that... Her, 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 she should be as frank as she can, but erring on the side of omission, not outright lying. So if there's something that she thinks is not something that he should know, or they, and they kind of educate her in what those things might be, um, don't say it. Just you know, say what you need to say, answer the question as you need to, and mm. keep no secret of the fact that we're in the picture. She's kind of naive, though, because at times like, she doesn't really truly see 
who people really are. She doesn't have yes. this, you know, perception. I know I do. It's terrible. Either I like you right away or I can tell right away you're not telling the truth. It's, it's right. bad. <laughs> so how do we know that she really needs a, needs a lesson and, you know, don't believe everything you hear? Well, first of all, as I said, she's definitely a small-town girl, which puts you yeah. in a different lifestyle entirely. But she and Rita actually have a real discussion um, about this. And she says to her, basically, you know, I know that you're you know, inexperienced like with everything, with life's blows, with men, with just yeah. about everything. Um, but you came here and you started a new life in the city and you really need, I mean, I'm sorry, the city means everywhere in this part of the country means New York City. There is no other city. <laughs> um, mm. So she, she says to her that she's got to, unfortunately, it's hard and tough at her skin because she's about to be abruptly yanked into life's cold reality. So it's pretty clearly stated. And, and the way she acts also, she's so trusting with with. The people yeah, that know. she cares about, and she's not, she's just frightened, but she's not mistrustful. There's a big difference. I would be completely cynical about everybody. <laughs> that would mm-hmm. be Me too. But again, I'm from this part of the world. She isn't. Well, I grew up in the South Bronx, so I learned you don't trust anybody. You've got to be really careful. Yes. That probably made it easier for me to do what I did for so many years, too. You just don't mess with this little girl. So, forensic instincts, how do you have different characters that work different things? Okay, so tell us about them, but my favorite one is Emma. I love her. There are so many people who love Emma. Emma is just, she's just so adorably funny. I mean, she's not adorable at all. She is physically, but she's, she's pretty much, so I'll start with her. She's like kind of the quintessential street kid. And yeah. she started out interviewing for the receptionist position at, at Forensic Instincts. That's how she began. And even though she picked all their pockets during the interview, <laughs> she was hired for her street smarts and her ingenuity because they love people who are out of the box. Um, and she's grown. She's now a full-fledged investigator, and she uses her skills and her ironic Alice in Wonderland look to get what she wants for the team. Um, so she's the newest and most creative member of the team. We'll start with that. Um, but we always have to start with Casey when we when we talk about them because she's not only the president, she's mm-hmm. just the leader. She's a natural-born leader. She's a behaviorist. She was trained as one. She went to school and became one. And originally she worked with both the private sector and law enforcement. They liked her a lot better then than they do now. Um, so she she started this company, and pretty much right off, right off the top of, the, of her head, it was Mark. I mean, Mark is a former Navy SEAL. He's former FBI, and he's former behavioral mm. analysis unit. So he just wanted out of red tape and strict rule following. And, you know, her idea is a very enticing one. It's basically doing what you do best, but doing it in a way that's right for the client and that cuts through all the red tape and garbage that slows you down. So he was her first hire. And right on his heels was probably everybody other's favorite character, who's Ryan. Um, he's an MIT dropout, but he's a genius. He's a tech genius. He's also way too good-looking and charming for his own good, not to mention the size of the ego, but he's definitely the most irreverent member of the team. He loves one-upping the police. He loves making sure everyone knows just how amazing he is, but he's 
brilliant. And you know, watching him do his hacking stuff and some of the other creative things he invents in terms of the computer, he's a, he's an incredibly bright guy. And the three of them are the original team members. So when you read the first mm-hmm. book of the series, which is the girl who disappeared twice, that's who you see as forensic instincts. And then next to come on board is Claire. Claire is what's called a claircognizant, which I would describe as an extreme form of an intuitive. She does not feel herself as a psychic. She doesn't sit down and do readings or anything like that. She just, things come to her, and sometimes they're superfluous, and most times they're not. They are things that lead them to where they need to go. Then uh, there's Patrick. I'm doing this as quickly as I can because I would stay three hours. That's okay. Um, Patrick is a lifetime FBI-er, uh, FBI-er, and um, then when he retires, he's actually part of the girl who disappears twice as, as an investigator, but now he's part of the team, and one of the reasons he joined was not just that he was very intrigued by them, but he's, he's come from a life of being by the book, and he's the most grounded member of the team. So he not only heads up all the security and pulls this, the team's he also pulls the string of the team's height when they go too far over the line. Um, they do a lot, and he's the, the father figure in the group. And last but not least, now that I've told you about Emma, is one of my favorites from the beginning, is Hero. Hero's a bloodhound. He's a former FBI human mm. evidence dog, and he's got an olfactory sense that can't be rivaled. So this is a very eclectic group. And their wide array of talents and personalities make them unique and, in my opinion, unsurpassable. They take on only very specific cases, the ones they feel are right for them. They obviously can pick and choose with their success ratio. And they, in, in, you know, in spite of their successes, they also adjust their fees depending on the client's monetary situation and their, you know, their needs mm. and their interest in the case and everything else. And then they make that current case their priority, which is pretty much a 24-7 job. So that's as succinct as I can be about these people who are I'm, I am as attached to as, as real life friends. That's that's scary. But you know what's impressive is that they respect each other and they get along. Because how many times do you have any kind of even police officers or agencies where each one is trying to one up the other, where they each do what they're supposed to do and talk it out. That's what really got me. Yeah. Like, that, that, that's what makes it impressive because they're not out to stab anybody in the back. Now we've got. No, they're Amy. a real team, and they also, at this point, are personally attached. They, you know, they know about each other's lives, and yeah. um, while they don't super socialize outside, there there is not a lot outside if you think about it. They work all the time. They have spouses and girlfriends and stuff like that, but yeah. they are very committed to their work, and they, they love what they do. And when you love what you do, I can speak for myself, you do it a lot. I, I really wish they were real, seriously. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny them. because you, you're great at what you do, and I started to do this because my sister, before she died, said, you know, you got a big mouth, and you're really good at talking to people, so... Why don't you interview people on a radio show? And I looked at her like she had five heads. I wish she was still here. So I, I did my first one, and then she wrote a critique of all the things I did wrong. Well, <laughs> that's said, how you have to start, because that's how you know to do everything right. Yeah, she said, oh, you know, your questions were great, but you talk too fast, you do this. I said, you know what? Who asked you? No, but she was right. So I miss her, because she's the one that got me started and said, yeah, you, I was, my mother had Alzheimer's, so I got 
started to eat my way into oblivion. I weigh 107 pounds. I weighed 200 pounds when I retired from teaching. So she did me a favor. So we've got Amy, and she's caught up in this web. How does forensic instincts, when the police come in, how do they deal with that? I mean, what happens when they finally realize what's happening? In general, how do they deal with it? The the police, you mean? How does who, I'm I'm not with who, a forensic instinct? How does who deal with what? I'm confused. How how does forensic instincts deal with the police find out or anything? When they have to deal with them, how do they work with them without them interfering too much? It's kind of a... Necessity for the police. They kind of consider mm-hmm. them to be a thorn in their side. But what Forensic Instincts does very cleverly is they always let them take full credit for everything. They never step forward and say, We did it. Because the truth is that mm-hmm. they solve everything yeah. before the police. But they tell what they must to the police. Sometimes they don't tell what they should. But again, omission rather than outright lying. Because um, there are some things the police need to know immediately, and there's some things they really don't need to know, because forensic instincts is hot on the trail of whatever it is they're doing. Um, but they are very familiar with this routine because they've dealt with so many precincts, and none of them particularly like them because they're as good as they are. But on the other hand, when afterwards they're standing there hearing words of the police, they're standing there hearing words of praise and receiving medals and things like that, they don't really want to say. Well, we didn't really, you know, do, so they just kind of shut up and play along with the situation, mm-hmm. and they still do their job. I mean, I have a lot of, of uh, research conversations with, with the NYPD, and they, they work very hard, and they do their job, and this is the way they would react to a team that was doing that. So it isn't that they're not effective. It's just that forensic instincts is the most effective in the world. Oh, so tell us, oh, we have Nick. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about Nick. And she thought he was the cat's meow. She really liked him. Yeah, well, Nick is kind of an enigmatic and charismatic at the same time. So there are things that he doesn't talk about and discuss. They're his. Um, But he's 100% committed to Canopy D, and he uses his family resources and some strong investors to build his brand. So, as I said, he's pretty much a Superman, which is why everybody just kind of takes to him because – he can push Canopy D and work all the time. And he also goes to the gym and puts in a full workout every day. And he parties whenever he wants to. So as he's, you know, as I said, he's basically of the philosophy that sleep you can do when you're dead and everything else he can do now. And he's, you know, in his own way, as I said, he's kind of enigmatic, but he's also mm-hmm. very charming. So he, he is likable. And also, he makes you want to work for him because he's so yeah. excited about the product. None of it's put on. That's what's really scary. People like that are smart enough to blindside anybody. So, yes. this I've had other books that have done this, but this one really scared the geeks out of me. How did you create the voice of the killer? And he, like we said before, he definitely feels justified in what they did. A lot of killers do. Yes, um, and we're talking about a specific kind of killer here. This is one of the ways I went about writing him when you asked me that before. I work with, I have, I have an amazing consult that I work with who's a former um, BAU and uh, expert and deals with the mind of the serial killer a lot. So we talked a great deal about the killer here who is a high-functioning sociopath. 
Um, in English, what that means, the high functioning is where they're as intelligent as this one mm. is and knows exactly what they're doing and goes about picking and choosing victims. Whereas you, you'd say that a, a lower functioning sociopath, let's say maybe grab a prostitute or grab a girl off the street, or it's a more arbitrary thing. This is a very high level of thinking. So what's scary is that there are many, many high I don't even mention them, but probably some of you are knowing what I'm thinking. Mm. There are many high-functioning sociopaths walking among us who are not true killers, but they, with the other, like, for example, many of them become CEOs. Many of them, you know, go into politics. Many of them go into that kind of, you know, blood, you know, blood pumping kind of a situation where they're in charge and they control fate. I don't mean they kill people, but mm. it's that same kind of mindset. Um, that you're picturing here, except it's not about killing, it's about controlling. So that was really fascinating, and that helped me a lot. But in the true sense of it, I don't think I ever really create the voice of the mm. killers. They kind of create their own voice. Once I yeah. understand who they are and I start writing, they kind of take over. So when they're, when they're talking, they're, um, when they're thinking, when they're talking, when they're the first person part of the, of the book, that's their voice, and it just is. Um, and as far as that, it's the justification. It's not just that he enjoys it. He does enjoy it. He has a signature style, which we won't talk about right now, but mm. he, it's pretty gruesome. But he seeks revenge. He has a very deep-seated feeling based on a personal experience that carries him into this, where he feels that certain people deserve to die for reasons that he determines, and he isolates them, and, and it's really creepy because he can pick his victims there's a method to his madness and it's it's hard to to deal with but it's real and when you you know go through the whole process of him from beginning to end it's creepier and creepier see but what you're lucky because you have people that you can have as sources and i tried to write something when i did my faces behind the stone the first book um, I wanted somebody from the fire department, the fire chief. So I went over and I asked him, you know, would you help me with arson so I don't have to look it up? And they were going to do it, but they never did. So I had to look it up myself, and I had to make sure that I was right and how a fire what was I put out. What I have to do that is so much harder. That you're right because that's yeah. so much harder. It is. When I have it's a really hard. It makes it a million times earlier, a million times easier because they can discuss it with you, give you first-hand experience, and tell you the rules, like you just said. But when you're on your own, you're constantly terrified, what if I'm doing this wrong? Yeah, well, I may I may ask somebody in law enforcement, since I know so many people, <laughs> finally, um, to help me write the next one. And it's sort of like a, a sequel to Population Zero, where there were no people. I may take one of the worlds and see what happens when a killer decides to take over my dark world and people come to live there. It's just, I, you, you never know what I'm going to think. Yeah, it's it's different, yeah. And I was going to call it You Deserve to Die. Then I call, started to call it um, The Dark World. I haven't decided on the title. I have to ask, really there's a lady like in the beauty parlor that The Dark World, yeah, maybe. Well, welcome to my dark world. So we have Amy, and she's afraid. So how come Emma volunteers to go with her wherever she has to go? I love this girl. Emma is Emma. Um, first of all, she's probably closest yeah. in age to Amy. And I think it's more a feeling of 
befriending her. Um, and she knows yeah. it because she wants to. This is not that she's putting it on. When you when Amy, Amy, when Emma doesn't mm-hmm. want to do something, you know it. She says it. Yeah. So Casey talks to her about this, and she says, you know, we have to keep her mind diverted. And Emma says, you know what, what I'll do, and she tells us, Amy, is I'll spend some time with her to keep her relaxed, and I'll also go through her social media accounts with her and see who might, for any reason, want her dead, who could be guilty of something in the web that she's kind of descending into. And she digs into her also, in all her social media accounts, both those that are personal and also her Cannabis D stuff. I mean, Emma's grown. She was just a receptionist that was kind of talking out of turn most of the time. But now she's become a really good investigator. You can see that play out in this book by some Mm -hmm. of the things she does. But with Amy, that's her primary role. And I think that aside from Casey, who's more like a big sister kind of feeling when she sits down to calm her down, Emma's more of a peer. And they, they kind of relax each other. They have fun. Emma could charm anybody, so... It's easy for her, and Amy responds well to it because she could use a friend. She's in a very bad place. This is she's Some really, really awful special. things happen to her. I know the problem is is that when people get older, whatever, not that old, they forget that they forget that it's okay to listen to other people, and they don't. They just sort of yes. tune you out. I know my, my niece Carly um, is like is like Emma in a lot of ways. <laughs> so when when I <laughs> apartment is destroyed how does she react and what happens next and then she realizes she might be a target oh yeah she realizes she might be a target when she walks into that scene um, it's beyond destroyed it's such a macabre scene that she totally flips out I mean anybody would but she certainly does Um, she's terrified and she immediately calls her security person who's on her all the time. That's John is like one of the main people who works for Patrick and security. And he's the person that they assigned to her. And she just calls him because he's outside anyway. And he just breaks into a dead run and he tells her just stay there. I'm here. So she, she quickly exits the place and just stands shaking in the hall. And he gets up there and he says to her, okay, let me go through. And then, you'll go through it with me. So he goes through it and he realizes, oh my God, this poor girl, what she walked into, this is horrifying. This is not like this is just a few dishes that fell off the racks. This is horrible. And it's also deeply personal. So he, she obviously knows that this is meant for just her. This isn't a random burglary. And he certainly knows it as well. So when they get through the whole thing and of course they call they call Casey pretty much the team mm. kind of descends after that but um, they make it when Mark gets there he goes through it with Patrick as well no I'm sorry he goes through it with yeah no with John as well and yeah. they, they they make it as if they had not gone through it because they can't touch anything they don't want to do anything that would that would in any way tarnish the scene because the cops are going their way I mean they obviously are going to hear about this so um, I think that the best thing that happens to her at that point, two best things, one is a self-revelation and one is a, a, an actual happening. The self-revelation is she kind of comes into herself. She suddenly makes a decision, I am not going to take this. I'm going to stand firm. I'm not being frightened off, no matter how terrifying this is. This person is not going to do this to me. I'm going to, I'm going to I mean, obviously, she doesn't do it by herself. She goes to FI, but she makes up her mind that she is going to be part of the solution and not run home with her tail between her legs because 
that's what this person wants. They exactly what the killer wants is for her to run. So she doesn't. And on the other hand, the other thing is that Forensic Instincts takes her to the brownstone. And they, I'm sorry, that's their headquarters. They have a brownstone. I, I forget what I've said and what I haven't because I know them so well after all mm. this time. They have a brownstone, and that's theirs, and that's where they run the company. Um, they take her there. They have all. They have the whole. They own the whole thing. So, like actually, Casey does. So they put her in what's a makeshift guest room, and they make it her safe, temporary home. So she's guarded at all times, both by the team and by security. That they, Patrick, like doubles and triples. So it's a place that because she obviously is not in a place in her head where she wants to run out and find a new apartment. She's just not there. She's terrified. But it makes her feel safer, and it also helps her be part of the solution to actually be with them and be guarded by their people, and she just feels safer and ready to move because this is scary stuff. But on the other hand, this is her life, and if she runs, she's always going to be looking over her shoulder. This person's not going away. So that's why she does all the things she does. But I was so proud of her at that point because she literally said no. I am not running away. I will talk to the police. I will do what I need to do, and then I will work with you, meaning forensic instincts, to make this go away, to solve this crime. Well, wait till I find out who did it. Whoa. Before I forget, <laughs> it's in front of me. Next Tuesday, the one and only Nancy Allen and Renegade. She's a riot. She's so good. And on Thursday, a special on women's history. Marsha Casper Cook, Sylvia Terhart, and Sylvia True, or Stella Terhart and Sylvia True, we're going to talk about, they wrote about the Holocaust, and we're going to honor women writers. On the 22nd, Gambling with Murder. On the 24th, Roy Johansson, Killer View. On the 28th, African Vengeance. On the 30th, Everyone We Know and Love, Lee Matthew Goldberg, Vanish Me. And on the 31st, believe it or not, FBI agent Michael Tabman is coming. And we're going to talk about oh, whatever yay. he says he wants. Yeah, he's great. I love talking to him because I never know what we're going to talk about. We'll probably talk about um, what's happening in the news and what anything else that's controversial, including vaccination well, and all that stuff. to talk about. Yeah, I gave him some questions, but he'll throw some at me, and that's okay. And then on the 4th, I start the month with, with um, Paradise Cove. It just came out. It's coming out. So... This is the next question. How does Ryan, I love Ryan, I love Mark, how did they figure out the truth? And what about the rest of the team? Okay, this is going to be very dicey in terms of answering it, so I'll answer as best I can yeah. without giving too much away. Um, we don't want to tell people. We'll tell you, we'll certainly tell them that uh, Ryan develops a unique tracking system. He creates false identities. And he hacks into inaccessible websites for his data. Um, so that's kind of the tip of the iceberg of what Ryan does. And Mark is working right by his side, assuming the necessary roles that are required and doing his surveillance work with Patrick. So between all of that as a team, they get exactly what they need. Is that cagey enough without, without dodging the question? <laughs> that, that's, that, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. What scared me... I can't tell anybody why. If you read one of the chapters at the end of the book, you're going to get the chills. That's all I'm going to tell you. Because you're going to be like, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding. 
that relates that chapter at the end of the book sort of connected to the prologue in the front front of the book. I got that. So, yeah. So why why did the what, what type of people did the killer target? And there's somebody close to her that disappeared. Oh, let's just say he targeted those he deserved to die because he had reasons for each one of them. Okay, Not just I like first, that. Which was more personally based, but later on all of them were picked. Handpicked by him. I would not want to be them. That that is scary. That is scary. Now, this this is the part that is it real? What kind of the technology that you have in in this book? Is that real? All of those things? Those abs and stuff? Um, some let's put it this way, okay? Some of this stuff is absolutely real. Some of this stuff is stuff that Ryan creates that's fiction. But I kind of think as I do it that, because I work with people, I'm, I'm not exactly a technology mm. whiz myself. But, I mean, I do what I need to do, but I'm certainly not Ryan. Um, I'm sure someday a lot of this is going to be reality because it's scary how much you can do if you're professional and you get on the, on the mm. Internet. But he pretty much does all the hacking he needs to do without any regret because that's Ryan. And it's all for, you know, it's all for the client. It's not like he's looking up porn sites mm. or something. I, so it's, you know, I do believe that obviously right now part of it is fiction. When he creates the technology, it's fact mixed with fiction. Um, and I think that probably in years to come, or it will all be reality. Just like no one ever believed a tiny little cell phone could do what it does. But it's 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 scary. It is. It's very scary. You know, just listening to the news, Philip Margolin said the other day, we were, you know, talking about it, and he said, you know, if you're smart, you'll read the sports page or you'll read the comics or you'll do anything but listen to the news. And and he's right because I have a news he app. Is right. I have Newzella on my phone. I don't know how it got there, but it got there. And every so often, like about two minutes ago, they just, you know, text me with a message and I just delete it. So I don't read it anymore. It's so it's so negative. There's not one news media that says anything negative about anything. So without well, giving it away. The thing that was good was that the baseball yeah. strike is over. That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best news. Yeah, it's, it's it's scary. I mean, between it's the virus scary. that the, the the virus that I oh god, I don't even go near people. I haven't seen anybody in two years. You still yeah, don't and really we're know. Even more careful because um, my my daughter, my son-in-law, mm. and our granddaughter live with us, and my granddaughter's four. So we're like, are oh, you god. ever going to make this vaccine available to this child? Because we're not taking it off our mess until you do. Me too. I, you know something, my niece is three, and I haven't seen her. So if I call, she sees that my aunt is on the phone. Okay, I got, I got to tell her everything. So she'll get on the phone and give me a speech. She's hilarious. But there are people that have not gotten vaccinated, and I worry about people in school because some of the kids are, some of the kids aren't. And I know that I know. My, my nieces in Florida are not. And I'm really upset. One works in the hospital. One works, goes to school. The other one is going to be a singing star. If you didn't see it on Facebook, Carly's song dropped two weeks ago. And um, we'll see what happens with this one. But people that are not vaccinated, I get worried that I, I can't I worry take a, a chance to we see have them. That, what you just said, we have that double whammy here because my daughter's a teacher and yeah. my granddaughter is in preschool. So, 
either way, it's you know, and, and now they have the mask mandates lifted, so um, they both wear their masks still, um, and I'm I'm happy about that because I just until yeah. they have a vaccine that's effective for these little ones, I don't think it's. Safe. I know now that's just my opinion, and there are a lot of people who tell me I was crazy, but that's how I feel. No, I agree with you because they think I'm crazy too. I walked into the bakery this morning to get. Well, my husband wanted a Bialy. Me, I could, couldn't even stand the side of the food. And he said, um, they won't wear masks, but I did. I keep it on because, you know what, I don't know who's coming in behind me. Exactly. And these people, in the, they don't haven't been wearing masks in a while. I try to explain to them, it doesn't matter if you wear a mask, you could still get this thing. My sister-in-law works in a school. She got it twice. And that's her being vaccinated and boosted. And my nephew... Works works from home. I think he got it in Florida when he went to see his girlfriend. And my other nephew got it from his girlfriend, and he was boosted. I said, so my sister-in-law wanted me to come there. I said, let me know when the virus goes away because I'm not going anywhere. It's scary. Yeah. It's terrifying. So, and if, you're, if you think a certain way, which obviously you and I both do, you yeah. take the precautions that you feel you need to take regardless of what you know the CDC says or whatever. Yeah, because they they look at me like, why are you wearing a mask? I said, oh, because I basically don't want to, you to see my face. That's how it. Good answer. I said, you know, I don't want to I don't want to scare you too much, so I just put the mask on this way. You can see my my hair. That's my hair is um, blonde, but it's got red, purple, green, um, blue, and black highlights. I'm serious, and spiked. So I said, you can see my hair because it looks good, but you don't have to look at my face. I don't want to scare. You. That that was that's my answer to that's them. That's very funny. And they just, Good for uh, you, you got it because, because whatever. So ha- without the, without the telling anybody, um, how did you you created a surprise ending? And where do you see them next? What's next for them? When am I getting it? As far as the surprise ending, I kind of think if I answered that, it wouldn't be a surprise. Yeah, it is um, really. I, it's just, there's a lot of suspects, and any of them are viable. And I don't want to say anything that would tip the scales into figuring things out. It's, you know, not just no. because I'm being, you know, kind of sly, but because the reader, I know when I read a book and I already know the ending, I'm like, you've got to be kidding. Why am I reading this? I mean, yeah, if I'm I reading don't... a suspense novel, why would I read it knowing what's going to happen? Yeah, you're supposed to build the tension inside you and the questions you have and maybe a few guesses and things like that along the way. So it was very well planned. I'll say that. It, was, it took a lot of time. The ending is always very long for me. It's not hardest to me, the hardest part for me is always the middle. That's the part where you say, okay, now what? Where's my muse? Hello, muse. And it's not always there. But the ending is well thought out, and I spend sometimes, mm-hmm. I could spend a month playing it out before I actually, and then I rewrite it probably 12 times, because I'm a perpetual rewriter. When something irks me, it's done. It's, it's, I'll tell oh, you, you, you got me you on that one. I, I'm sorry. I was wondering me, about this person, yeah, you asked and I'm me going where like, holy God. You asked me. Yeah, I, I'm pl- I can't, I'm, I'm a perfectionist to a nauseating flaw. I mean, I, people ask me, mm. you know, do you write your whole full draft? I burst out laughing. I don't even write a chapter. I, re, I write for a day, and then the next morning I immediately reread what I wrote and edit it. And then I start the next part. But I can't, I don't mean little grammatical erroring. I, I, I do that later on. But yeah. if something doesn't sit right for me, because I'm thinking, well, I don't know, this looks good in my outline, but this character would not do mm. this. 
and I have to change it. I can't just leave it because it's, it's like your book either is a seamless tapestry or it's a patchwork quilt, which is also why I can't write out of order. I write in order as I'm going because I need that seamless tapestry. And if I don't have it, it's my own fault, and I will not do that to my readers. So I'm, I'm a pretty – I hold myself to pretty high standards. I'm a writing specialist and reading specialist. That's what my license is in. So I'll just sit down and write, and then I'll send it to my editor, fix it, please. And my last <laughs> book, yeah, for real, I don't, I don't read what I write, sort of, which is bad. So I, my last book, Population Zero, went with an independent publisher. I won't say where. They did not help me at all. They, they, there were no grammar mistakes, no structural mistakes, no nothing. But when I said to them, in this chapter, what do you think I should do? Or how do I t- – I, invite, I created worlds that, are, that no one would want to live in, and I invited a dead body to come back and experience it so that pe- people would understand the worlds I created, you don't want to live in, start appreciating the one we live in now. Very few people got that. So I just said to him, how, how would I make this better? They didn't help me. I think that Nothing. when you reach that point, where you're, with the, with which intelligent people usually reach that point, um, yeah. you really need more of a... Of a um, a complete editor, somebody who's able yeah, to have, I said. you know, creative discussions with you that are conceptual, not just can you fix this sentence? Because a copy editor, a good copy editor, can do that. But I had need, a copy editor, I had a complete a, editor, a conceptual editor. You know what got me is that the guy that was doing the grammar part called me. The other one just texted me, emailed me, and said, you know, this you should do here. I said, can you pick up the phone? I wound right. up calling the person. I said, you're not helping me make this better. And I really took a long time to write it. I thought it was really cool, Population Zero, World Without People. And it's a much better World no, Without it's People. A great concept. Yeah, yeah and then I thought right. I'd write this. The second one is going to be, I created the scenery, which is really a morbid, horrible place. It's dark. And I created this guy that's crazy. And... He decides who belongs there, but first he decides who doesn't belong there and kills them off. So I have to decide where to go with it, but right now I have so many books to review, I have no time for that. What can I say? I understand. You really have to parse your time. It's hard. This is this is so much more fun. <laughs> and oh, so you asked me where I see them next. I'm sorry. We got, we got carried away. You asked me where I see the team next. Yeah, Nick, um, where do you see? I mean, Nick, I, I like Nick, started. basically, but what about him? And he had some help, Nick. He didn't work this alone. No. Notice I stopped. <laughs> I know. We're not going to tell who it is, people. You've got to read it because you're going to go, oh, my God. Are you serious? That's exactly right. So what's next for Forensic Instincts after this one? Well, I already got started, at least with my researching and my thinking. It takes me a full year, if that little, to write a book because I have so much. I have four months of research, usually I do, um, mm. and then I continue to research little things along the way um, just to make it right. Some books require more mm. than others, um, but I need to know every single aspect of what I'm writing. I have to understand it. So I've started doing mm. that first part of their next adventure, um, I'll tell you, the only thing I'll tell you is that this time Casey is going to be in real danger. So after that, it's more to come. I don't even know a lot of what I could tell you, so it's the beginning. But I'm kind of excited about it. Well, don't kill Casey's her not excited because, about it, but. 
I would smuggle in off a forensic instincts team member. That I will not do, and I'm happy to say that. Just like I say, I don't kill children or animals. I'm oh, happy thank to say God. I do not kill forensic instincts people. Philip Margolin killed off a main character. I'm serious. Oh, you're um, kidding. I'm so I glad cried. I read yeah. that one. Yeah, it's a great book. It's great. He explained to me before the show started why. I go, no excuses. Bring him back from the dead. I mean, I was really yes. upset. But the way he wrote it really destroyed the main character, which made sense. But yes, I was really upset. Yeah, I said, Some how could you do, do that this really to me? Effectively. I think there's a little part of me that still likes a happy ending. I'm just, you know, that part of me yeah. that was writing romance, right? You know, I like that feeling of happily ever after. The, the good guys get theirs. The bad guys get theirs. It's like that's the way it's supposed to be. Too bad real life isn't like that. No, this is not a happy ending. I cried at the end, too. And oh, hopefully, that's not good. No, and he said he wrote the next one, and I have the blurb on the, on the thing. He said he wanted to give the main character... A more of a danger and make her more interesting and he felt that the love interest was bringing come down and go no really he was very helpful but hopefully <laughs> she'll get somebody else i was I like how could you do this too. to me so where can everybody learn about you when you work and um i have to tell you the people with partners in crime are the best they really are they're amazing they are unbelievable i love working with them that's my favorite publicity that i do I mean, when I turn other people down, and unfortunately, sometimes I have to because there's just no time, I never yeah. walk away from them because they're the best people and they do the best matchups. They're great. Um, they do, and then, me, they, they, then they email me and tell me you have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 go to everybody, I think you can go to AndreaKane.com. There you can read about my new books the news, everything that's going on, and you can also connect with my social media links because they're all accessible to my website. That's probably the best central place. Rather than going here, go to here for this, go to here for that, go to AndreaKane.com and you can get it all. Well, that, that is great because this, is, this has been my most fun for this, for this, for this week, let me tell you. And, and to be really very happy, I, I, I look forward I, to it too. I, ne- I never ever do things on on Friday, but people, I had to reschedule for whatever reason yesterday, and today I'm almost, I'm not human, but I'm almost human. I, I, well, it's I'm so very happy, good I'm to glad we rescheduled. Yeah, much, I'm, I'm better today. I just wish I could be better all the time, but what the heck. But I want to thank you so much. This this is fun. Um, Andrea, do you do panel shows ever? Because I'm really good at those. You mean with the talk radio show? I do. Well, Your I'm show? doing one. <laughs> I can't have five, five people con me. I'm doing one on April 7th with um, Alan Topol, Stephen Harms, John Gilstrap, um, and two other people. And we're going to talk about how the setting of their book is educational. Research is coming on also. How the setting of their book, where it takes place, would help children learn about the country, wherever it is the book takes place. I thought that was wow! How, how do you manage that without everybody talking over each other? Yeah, it's, it should be interesting. And I did one in January, which definitely would definitely fit this book. It's called the Last Line, and we talked about how the last line of your book is either an ending, or it's going to tell you that something else is going to happen. And I got that That's from true. reading one of the other books. Yeah, I, I love doing panel shows because you never know what's going to happen. And if you get Charles Salzberg and Dick Belsky together. I don't have to say a word. And John Lamb, 
I just sit back and listen. It's great. <laughs> but I want to thank you so much, everyone. Do an act of kindness for people and start being nicer because this world is really beautiful. It's, even though we have all this other nonsense happening. And let me once again send my my hope and prayer for the people of Ukraine. I hope to God those Russians finally leave you alone because you don't deserve what you're going through. Thank you so much, Amen. Every, yeah, I'm praying for them every day. Everybody have a great yes. day, and bye. Thanks so much. Bye.